Well, good morning. I'm really glad that you're worshiping with us. Online campus, really glad you're with us today as well. And uh, I, I just want to just say what an impactful Mother's Day it was here at Community last weekend. I, I mean, Shelly just knocked it out of the park with her teaching and, and really focusing in on, on how important you are as moms. And, and you know what? Mother's Day for me is a challenge. Uh, my mom's been gone about a year and a half, and it, it's a it's just a challenge for me. My mom was great at everything except driving. <laughs> Horrible driver. I mean, if there was something that you were not supposed to hit, she definitely hit it. That, that's just the way she was. She might have set a record for hitting the most poles in any drive through fast food lane. She would bump like back and forth. Every time she went through one of those, she'd get to the, the speaker after she hit one. Would you like fries with that? And an estimate on the body damage because they saw her coming. I mean, it was just horrible. And so because I was mowing my grass last week, just thinking about my mom and, and maybe she was just letting me know she was around somehow. I, I don't know. I'm zipping through. The, no, I did not wreck, by the way. But I'm zipping through the yard zero turn and we have this I mentioned we have this wooden swing set in the yard and 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 I'm zipping through the yard and I zip under the little rings that are hanging from the swing set no issues go that way turn around come back zip through the middle of it turn around come back and in my mind just thinking about my mom and and, and just kind of mowing I think well I'm just going to throw the swing going full speed the swing part hanging I'm going to throw it out of the way and just drive under no problems right I threw the swing out of the way, and then it was like a slow-motion movie. I was vertical on my zero-turn riding mower. Vertical. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm not sure what's happening. And then hearing this cracking, loud, ripping sound, which was the swing set coming down crumbling all around me and then it was smash the front of the mower smashed back down to the ground and I took off and kept mowing the grass so what I could get to with the mower the swing set all around my 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 mother-in-law was in and my wife came outside and they're standing at the end of the driveway <laughs> and she said oh I didn't know we were tackling that project yet Thanks a lot, honey. You know, uh, I thought I knew what I was doing. Obviously, I don't. I, I thought I knew, you know, how to handle that. I thought I was right until I was confronted with the truth and found out I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And I wasn't as careful as I thought I was being careful. So hold on to that thought for just a moment, that we don't always know everything that we think we know. We all live our lives based on some type of truth. That's who we are. Now, we may not realize that, but that's the fact. Every decision we make, every turn we take, every success we have, every failure that we have are all based on a truth that we believe. The question is, how do you get that truth? How do you come to that truth? Well, there are personal experiences. I mean, we are raised 
and, um, and, and we know these experiences happen to us, and so we learn from those experiences, like I'll never drive through another swing again when there's a swing set on my mower. You learn from those type of experiences. There are family teachings. We learn by modeling growing up, so what your family teaches you, you understand, and you put that into practice in your life. There are things that we're taught in school, and school shapes us, and it molds us, Uh, into who we're going to become, and there's also something called faith. Now, you will have faith in something, and you will believe in something, but you get to choose what that will be. So what do you believe in, and what do you have faith in? Now, for me, when I look at my life and how I'm wired and what I put my faith in, I've always put my faith since I was little in the Word of God, the Bible, and a lot of people question me on that. And a lot of people challenge me on that. But that's where my foundation is. That's where my guardrails are. That's my truth. And I'm going to follow Jesus because of that. And because Jesus believes in the Bible. That's his foundation. I believe in the Bible. Because Jesus believes in the Bible, you need to believe in the Bible. All right? Now, the Bible is a library. How many books are in the Bible? 66 books. How many Old Testament? 39. Process of elimination. New Testament is 27. Very good. 40 different authors written on three different continents in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. But it has this amazing unity to it. There's like no discrepancies there. And and I have people ask me, how in the world can you use a book that's that old to set your truth and your morals and your boundaries? Well, listen, it speaks to every situation that we're dealing with right now in 2022. There is nothing that we're going to go through that it doesn't deal with. And that's one of the reasons that it's so controversial. Because it puts things out there that we may not want to hear in a lifestyle that we may not want to live, but it doesn't make it any less true. It says this in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and it teaches us to do what is right. Well, I, I believe what Jesus said. I believe Jesus. I, I, I'm a fan of his, but I don't believe the Bible. Let me just say this to you again. If you don't believe the Bible, then you don't believe in Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus teaches and he quotes the Old Testament. And he was living out the New Testament. That's who he was. That's how it worked. Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Every teaching that Jesus teaches are based on the Bible. He's either directly quoting an Old Testament scripture, he's making a reference to an Old Testament scripture, or he's summarizing an Old Testament teaching. Because Jesus believed in the Bible, I believe it, and you need to believe it. Have you read it lately? Go on, no, it's 2,000 years old. I'm not going to read it. 
brush off the dust. Open up the YouVersion app on your iPads, your iPhones, wherever, and read because there's so much good stuff in there. Today we're going to take a look at a few scriptures where Jesus is battling against the religious establishment. I love this. I love conflict. I love to stir the pot. I love to get under the wrong areas of your skin and make you think about what you believe and why you believe it and how you believe it and who told you what you believe and how did you get there. I love, anybody else love conflict? Yeah, yeah, you better raise your hand, Jeff. Okay, we got it. <laughs> so, sometimes it's just good to see, you, you know, write, write this down. One of the greatest things about being a Christ follower, if you're going to follow Jesus, you will offend religious people. You're going, What? I thought it was about love and peace. Well, it is. But you're going to offend a lot of religious people. Why? Because when it comes to our personal view of Christianity, it's made up of our own thoughts and our own rules. But those aren't always God's rules, and they're not always God's thoughts. They're ours. Now, open your Bibles, you version apps, to Matthew 21. One of my favorite scriptures because you get to see Jesus just unload on these religious people. I mean, he's hammering them. Now, if you just, just, just read this, Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. If you just read that much of the scripture and you stop right there, which is what most people do, your view is going to be in trouble. So why do we stop there? Why do we misquote this scripture? And it gets misquoted all the time. Why do we do that? Well, because I see people base their faith and their life around part of a scripture that they misunderstand. And then they fight for the wrong views of that scripture. Most people misunderstand this scripture because they stop with drove out all who were buying and selling there. You know, let, let, let's keep going. There weren't just, when you're looking at this, there weren't just self-righteous, pharisaical people in Jesus' day. There are self-righteous, religious, Pharisee people today in every church that I've ever been in. Every church. Just every church. We've dealt with people that have used this exact scripture to say, we're not allowed to sell anything in the church. Jesus drove them out because they were selling. No, that's not why Jesus drove them out. You forgot to read the rest of the passage. You forgot to dig in just a, a little bit deeper. Jesus drove them out not because they were selling. He drove them out because they were stealing and robbing the people. See, people who want to quote the scripture want to then say, well, look at Luke 19, and it says this, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It's written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The issue is they didn't check out anything else around that scripture. They just read that one part, and that's where they stopped and again, that's not why he was driving them out. 
He was driving them out because these religious leaders would sit in the temple and everybody that was bringing a sacrifice, animal sacrifices in to present to God for their forgiveness of their sins, they'd bring something in and every one of them, they would scrutinize what they brought in and say, ah, you know what, that dove, because if you didn't have much money, you would bring a dove in and say, that dove, nah, it doesn't cut it, all right? It, it's not good enough. But we'll sell you one for a 30% markup that it passes, and you'll be okay with God then. And the people are going, I, I guess I don't have a choice. Or they would bring a lamb in, and these people would inspect the lamb and say, oh, too many defects. There's no way God could accept that. It's not going to happen. But we'll sell you a lamb that has been pre-approved for 45% markup. And the people are going, we don't have any option because we want to worship God and we need this forgiveness for our sins. And so they did it. It's written, Jesus said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. You know where that's from? He's quoting an Old Testament passage from Isaiah 56. And it says this, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve Him and love His name, who worship Him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah says this, God's not turning anyone away because of the sacrifices that they're bringing. That's what he says. He accepts them all. It was the religious people that were turning people away. It was their view of what the Scripture said, not actually what the Scripture said. The Pharisees chose to misread it. And I think today's religious leaders do that with a lot of things too. Isaiah got it. He understood it. It's all about the people. It's all about connecting to the people, the people connecting to God. The Pharisees lost it. They made their own rules, their own regulations, and Jesus corrects it and brings it back. And it's nothing to do with buying and selling. It's everything to do with the people connecting to God. Let's look at another one, Matthew 15. It says this, Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They ask him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. These religious leaders traveled for probably four, maybe five days to come and see Jesus, just to kind of, kind of debunk him, kind of see what he was teaching. And the first question that they throw at him doesn't have anything to do with Jesus' teaching. It was about their own traditions, their way of doing things. It wasn't God's way, it was their way of doing things. It was all about their made-up laws. And they made up a whole lot of extra laws to go with the over 600 that God put into place in the Old Testament. And so they're adding laws and rules upon the laws that had no business being there. In this one, they would ceremonially wash their hands to symbolize that they were clean before they ate. Now, anybody here wash your hands before you eat? Okay, I hope every hand goes up in here. I'm just saying, all right? 
But I hope you use soap and water to do that. These religious people weren't using soap and water to clean their hands. The, the hand washing was all about these rules and these appearances, not about actually being clean. The Pharisees just didn't like the fact that Jesus' disciples didn't do it the same way that they did things. All right? They're breaking the traditions of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the elders, the teachers that had come before them. And look at Jesus just firing these challenges back at the religious leaders. Uh, verses 3 through 6 of Matthew 15. Jesus replied, And why do you by your traditions violate the direct commandments of God? Hmm. For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother. That's Jesus quoting Exodus 20 verse 12. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. That's Jesus quoting Leviticus 29. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own traditions. Why do you break God's commandment because of your traditions? You see, the Pharisees, they, they, they weren't there about, you know, saying, hey, honor your father and mother. They wanted to pad their pockets. That's the whole meaning of that scripture. That wasn't what God was saying. God was saying, take care of your parents. And they're going, no, 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 no. First, you take care of this and you pay us. Make sure we get more than what we deserve so that then maybe if you have anything left over, you take care of your parents. That's their laws and their traditions, but it wasn't God's. I said earlier that not only did Jesus have to deal with religious Pharisees, but today in our churches, we have to deal with that all the time. And we put all kinds of rules in place that aren't God's rules, but most of them, most of us take those rules as biblical mandates and we live those out like God said them. You know churches like that? We've been in the middle of that in the past. Now, again, some of these are from my growing up. I was born in the 60s, all right? I know, it's a long time ago. Some of you can't remember the 60s. I get it for multiple reasons. But I was born in the 60s, and you're going, okay, well, what was church like back in the 60s? Well, for us, it was you had to dress a certain way before you could come through the doors of the church. Now, I hated dressing up when I was a kid. Every time we went to church, which was a lot, I had to dress up before I went to church. I knew I was going to get the shirt dirty. I knew I was going to fall down and play in the mud. I knew it, but I had to dress up anyway. You know, because you can't come to church unless you wear a certain type of clothes to be able to go to church. Where does it say that in the scripture? Where's the biblical reference to that? Not really one. You can make up some things and you can kind of put rules on top of rules, but there's not one that says that. Maybe for you, you grew up saying, well, we have to sing songs from the hymnals or it's not really worship. Where does it say that? I know New Testament psalms, hymns, spiritual songs in your hearts, you've got those. That's not talking about the hymns. I love some old hymns, but that's not what it's talking about. 
The hymns were written in the 17, 18, 1900s. Scripture doesn't even talk about those. It talks about singing of joyful noise to God, making that joyful. It doesn't talk about what style of music you like. And yet a lot of us want to put our own rules on top of that and say this is the only way that true worship happens. Well, if you don't have specific programs through the year, then you're not really a church. I've had that thrown at me. Where's your women's ministry? You don't have a formal women's ministry. You're not really a church. You don't care about women. Is that a scriptural reference? I happen to care deeply about all of you. And I care about your spiritual life and your spiritual health. Just because something doesn't work in one place doesn't mean it's not biblical not to have it or unbiblical not to have it. You know, a few years ago, I took my summer break and I just dug into some things that I had been taught as a kid growing up as fact, as, as scripture. And I assumed that that's what they were. And, and so I just took and I started breaking things down. Okay, what, what do I assume is scripture that, that I believe that maybe it's not? And I know this might not be true today. But did anybody grow up where you weren't allowed to dance? Anybody remember Footloose? The first one or the second one? They're both the same movie. You know, what? It was about some rebellious teenagers and, and a pastor that said, you're not allowed to dance. And so they decided to break that and dance. Now, I don't know about you all. If you see me on a dance floor, you may want to get out of the way. Most likely because my wife is stepping on my toes the whole time that we're trying to dance. Sorry, honey. She's in this service. It doesn't say thou shalt not dance. Now, listen, if you want to read about dancing in the Bible, it's in there. You go to the Old Testament, you watch, you watch David, a man after God's own heart. He's dancing in his underwear. We're not going there today. I'm not tackling that. But it's there. I, I, I got this thought, you know, I understand about trying to protect teenagers. I mean, I, I've got three that have been through those stages and married, and I, I get that, right? But you can't say this is a sin or this isn't allowed because God says it's not allowed when God doesn't say that. And we tend to do that way too often. Let, let's take things, I don't know, when I was growing up, like playing cards, all right, I get it. Playing cards is different today. They took that as gambling, right, when I was growing up. That, that was all gambling. So I guess you could change that today to playing the lottery. You are not allowed to play the lottery. God is against it. That's a waste of your money and your time. You're not allowed to do it. God does not approve. Show me where God does not approve of that. Show me where if you set your budget up and you have an entertainment part of your budget and you choose to use a little bit of that money for your entertainment to have a chance at winning $4 billion, whatever is out there, tell me that's a sin. If it's budgeted and it's not exceeding anything and you're not addicted to it, tell me that's a sin. Prove it to me scripturally that that's a sin. You know what's a sin? If you win and you don't tithe back to community church. That's a sin. I remember having to, 
I don't play the lottery often, but when it gets over 300 million, what are the odds? You try something, right? You know, five bucks or whatever. And so I remember having to sneak to like a off back roads gas station to buy a lottery ticket thinking, I can't let anybody see me buy a lottery ticket. It's so ungodly. Why? It's part of my entertainment money. It's not out of control for me. It's not something that's going to destroy me. You know, let's tackle a big one. And I had to tackle this uh, on that time where I was digging through this. What about alcohol? Everybody hushes. You do understand that for most churches outside of the United States, there are a few other countries that are exceptions, but for most countries outside the United States, alcohol is not an issue. It's not forbidden. It's not anything. And and, and you look at that and you go, you know what? It wasn't until the temperance movement in the 1800s here in the United States that it was much of an issue here. Matter of fact, some of the earlier uh, pastors were actually paid in alcohol in the early days of this country. Now, I understand. I come from a family of alcoholics. My grandfather, my uncles, my dad's brothers, my dad, dad. I've seen the devastation that happens when alcoholism hits. And it is not pretty. It just isn't. But you look at that and you're saying... How do you call something wrong when actually the Bible speaks about alcohol very plainly? Not just wine, but hard spirits. It doesn't say anything is wrong with that unless you get drunk. That's where the sin comes in. That's where it's wrong to do. But it's not wrong on the front side of that. My dad, um, (laughs) he, he was so worried about the perception of things that he would never drink, um, he would never buy alcohol. Again, his dad, his brothers, his whole family, hard drinking, hard living people, and he would never do it. And uh, he died of cancer. And so during his cancer, uh, once he died, we started going through some of his stuff, and we found five cans of near beer (laughs) hidden away in a closet. Now, that was because he didn't even want the perception that he was drinking to come across to us. Now, I think about that, I think, man, I I understand, but what does the Bible say about it? It does not condemn it. If you have an addiction issue, if you have something that's, that's an issue where it's going to control you, then absolutely stay away. If it's going to destroy somebody around you, stay away from it. But scripturally, from the Bible, it does not say that it's wrong. Just some interesting things to think about. The rules that we've put into place that aren't God's rules. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 15, 7, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, This is Jesus quoting Isaiah 29. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Now, we have to be careful not to let our own ideas be the biblical truth that we stand on. 
Matthew 15, 10 says this, Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. When the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize that you just offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus said, Yeah, that was intentional. That, that, that was on purpose. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. There's a joke there, but I don't have time to go into it. Let's keep going to Matthew 15. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us this parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Because in the Old Testament they were. There were restrictions on what you could eat. And Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from your heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus just blowing up the Pharisees and their teaching. He said, it's not about what you say. It's about what's inside of you. It's about what's in your heart. And then he goes on to quote most of the, the Ten Commandments, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, stealing, lying. And if that's where you are in your life, then maybe it's time for a change. Maybe it's time to quit following man-made laws and rules and maybe it's time to start following Jesus. What the scripture actually says, not what somebody told you it says. Listen, if you don't agree with anything I've said today, I challenge you. Go and dig it out for yourself. Not just one passage. Read the whole thing all around it. Figure out what the meaning is of that. Do some research. Why? Because we have killed the kingdom of God by our rules on top of rules that are not God's rules. They're just our rules. And it's time to stop listening to what everybody else says and simply follow Jesus. Because he loves you more than you'll ever know. He wants you to have grace and mercy and freedom and forgiveness He's got a life planned for you that's so incredible that you'll never find it underneath this stack of laws and rules on top of rules. He said, just come to me and I'll give you freedom and an abundance of life. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone watching online. God, may we understand who you are and how much you love us. May we do away with our own version of your rules and, and, and laws. And God, just simply listen to how you fulfill those in our lives. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.